It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody could ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by New York Lottery. Thanks so much for tuning in. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes and multiple ways for you to interact with us here on the program. The phone number, of course, 973-667-1960. You can also head to Twitter. Use hashtag GiantsChat. Follow and interact with the two of us directly. I'm at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So on Monday's program, we went in-depth providing a recap of Sunday night's loss to the Cleveland Browns. We'll get into a few more takeaways on that front, but we're going to start with the most newsworthy item, and that is the fact, Paul, that the Giants, after not having any pro bowlers on the 2019 roster, walk away with two this year, tight end Devin Ingram being one, first Giants tight end to earn that honor since Jeremy Shockey in 2006, and then, of course, James Bradbury, one of the biggest free agent additions last offseason, he becoming the first Giants corner to make the Pro Bowl since Janoris Jenkins in 2016. Bradbury having a very impressive season. He's tied for second right now and passes defense with 17. So that is one off the lead, which is 18. And he leads the Giants with three interceptions. So I don't think that was a surprise at all, considering his consistent performance since the start of this season. Well, also considering the fact that Bradbury, as we know, for most of the the time, goes up against the best receivers. Uh, The Giants have made no bones about this, that when necessary, and he goes up against the elite guys, he will shadow. When they decide that it's not in the best interest of the game plan because maybe they don't think the other team's number one receiver is elite enough, then they go back to just playing their standard defense left and right and and do their usual mixture uh, of coverages. So... The fact that, you know, he's not always doing the same thing every week I think is kind of cool, too, because it shows his adaptability. And, and you know, he's really a press corner when you get down to it, Lance. And the Giants have played so much zone this year that, you know, he's not always in the face and jamming guys. There are times, a lot of times, actually, where he's playing a few yards off, and that's not his usual forte. So to play at the level that he has under the circumstances that the Giants have given him I think speaks a lot about him as a player. Yeah, because he's gotten a few passes defensed in terms of the zone. And I believe one of the interceptions that I recall came in a zone format, too. So, you know, he's still making plays regardless of what they're asking him to do. And I think that is the big key. Plus, it's consistent. It's not as if Bradbury had five passes defensed or ten passes defensed in one game and then had another game where he had seven and then the numbers look good, but it's just really two really good games. He's had a presence throughout the course of this season. Now, when you look at the rest of the cornerbacks that made the Pro Bowl, you have Jalen Ramsey, you have Jair Alexander, you have Marshawn Lattimore, and the three safeties, Quandre Diggs, Buda Baker, and Jamal Adams. So Bradbury's in good company in terms of the secondary members that made it. Adams, the Giants saw firsthand when they went up against the Seahawks. They saw Buda Baker the other week with Arizona Cardinals. Quandre Diggs, of course, is with Jamal Adams on the Seahawks. So This is a group of top-notch cornerbacks that he's been able to break in with, and I think it says a lot about how far he's come, Paul, as a player, because 
Remember, he was solid with Carolina, but I think because of the other players that were in the division as well as in the NFC, it was hard for a guy like James Bradbury to get notoriety. And maybe this is the latest example of, aside from his play, not to take anything away from him, but maybe market size does help in terms of boosting your resume when it's all said and done. Perhaps. Uh, I wonder, to be honest with you, how uh, Alexander or the Packers made it, to, to be frank. I mean, when you consider the fact, and again, you have to look at these guys on a week-in and week-out at a play-by-play basis to really understand and appreciate how good or how maybe average these guys are. To just straight look at their stats line, it, it, it's a pet peeve of mine. I hate to do that. But sometimes, you have to admit, the stat line sticks out like a sore thumb. And you say to yourself, well, for, for example, Carlton Davis of Tampa Bay. I mean... You know, he's been battling James Bradbury for the NFL lead and passes defense all year. And, oh, by the way, he also has nearly 70 tackles on the season as a corner and four picks. I mean, those are really good stats for a cornerback. Now, does that also mean there have been a lot of plays where he's gotten beaten and maybe he's busted coverages or missed assignments? Perhaps without having watched a ton of Buccaneers tape. I only watched a little bit when they were going to be playing the Giants. It's hard for me to say, but his stats stick out like a sore thumb as to him not being left off the team. That's a big wow. Well, remember, the Pro Bowl vote has different components. Part of the Pro Bowl vote is the fan vote. Now, if it was up to me personally, I would not have any fans vote for this. I think it should be players, coaches, and executives, and that's it. Because I think then with fans, it becomes more of a popularity contest. And it's just go to social media and click on send, vote yes 75 million times. So if it was up to me, I'm all for even eliminating fan vote, Paul, when it comes to all-star games. In the NBA all-star game, they have the fan vote. I think that should be eliminated too. So in an ideal world, I think it should be players, coaches, and executives. They can find a way to balance things out. If they want to involve former players and executives in the process, I'm all for that. Media members too. But I think the fan vote dilutes who makes the Pro Bowl. And I think it becomes more of a popularity contest. Well, you know what the problem is, Lance? To really do this properly, you've got to be able to – football is such a detailed and fundamental-oriented game. You have to be able to watch these guys week in and week out. And like I said, on a play-by-play basis to truly appreciate who deserves it and who doesn't. And there's no way a fan is going to be able to do that. In fact, to be frank with you, okay – Maybe the coaches and the players are the only ones or the scouts who really have a decent grip on this because they're watching usually three or four games of the opponent that they're going to play on Sunday. So by the time the season is over, they've probably seen a great number of the players who would be considered realistically to be on the ballot or to be deserving of being on the ballot. There's certainly an opportunity to, to, to maybe take a glance at some of the other guys if you want to take it seriously, if you did not see them in prior game film. But with three or four games to review for every Sunday's opponent, chances are you've probably gotten at least a decent look or a, a, enough of a, of, a, of a hot dog sample of a guy that you can at least have an educated opinion on. So I'm with you. I don't think the fans should vote for the Pro Bowl whatsoever. I'm, I'm more along the lines of let the, the coaches do it, the players do it, even though they're going to also be subjected to some of that popularity stuff you're talking about. 
Maybe you don't want to have the scouts involved at all. I could understand that. The scouts are a very secretive organization. Nobody wants to make anything that they do public anyway. But maybe just the coaches and the players should do the vote. I just think there's room to balance out the voting a little bit more and give the emphasis more to the individuals, to your point, that are reviewing the film and around the players a little bit more, as that is part of their job. Now, with respect to the other Giants pro bowler, Evan Ingram making the pro bowl, I think was probably the surprise of the two. Two tight ends made the Pro Bowl on the NFC side. Remember, it used to be that they eliminated NFC versus AFC and then brought that back a few years ago. So now it's limited in terms of you don't just take the best tight ends, Paul, in the NFL. You take the best tight ends Um, in each respective conference. Big on the conference separation. It used to be this way all the time, and then they changed it a few years ago and got fancy and funny, and we're naming team captains, and they're going to get the pick guys. What a bunch of garbage that is. Go back to the traditional way. The way they did it this year is the way it should be done. Now, in fairness, by the way, there's not even going to be a Pro Bowl this year. That's important to know because of COVID. So all of these guys that were named to this game, unfortunately, are not going to be able to play. But from a contractual standpoint, bonus standpoint, honor standpoint, it's still meaningful for a lot of the players. So TJ Hawkinson is the starting tight end in the NFC. And then Evan Ingram is going to be the backup. I think, you know, when you look at the landscape of tight ends in the NFC, it wasn't a very deep position. So I do think that helped Evan. Robert Tanyan of the Green Bay Packers is another guy that probably deserves some consideration. And as far as on an individual basis with Evan being concerned, he's in line. And I think this gets overlooked. Not that this is about stats, but I think it says a lot about him. He's in line, Paul, to play all 16 games for the first time in his career. And if you would have asked Evan before the season, he probably would have told you that was one of his primary goals because oh, he remember, already he's did. been connected to being injury-prone throughout his career. You're correct. He's been saying that for the last two years, that he wants to play all 16 games. I think Logan Thomas of the Redskins, stats-wise, would have been the other guy who could have been considered for this spot. Let's not forget, despite the fact that Giants fans get to watch Evan Ingram on each and every play and have dealt with the frustrations and the disappointments of him maybe not living up to his full potential as a player. He is third amongst NFC tight ends in receptions and second among NFC tight ends in receiving yards. And the fact that, you know, he's got that 153-yard catch, which is also the second longest reception by an NFC tight end, speaks to the athleticism and the big playability that he has. And when you consider the, the breakdown of this vote, where it's fans, but then it's also, you know, the, the, uh, the other part is the uh, players' coaches. Well, the respect that people have around the league for Ingram's ability, we hear it all the time within the Giants coaching staff, and we hear it every single time we talk to the other coaches week in and week out. They think that Ingram is a matchup nightmare. They have such regard for his talent and ability. Now, they're, again, they're watching three or four games of tape. They're not watching every single play, and they're not seeing every single play that he may not have fulfilled his promise on. But they're seeing a guy who gives them some trepidation when they go into a game on Sunday. So I think it's more about their valuing his talent. And again, I don't want to ignore the production. Top three, top three in the NFC in receiving yardage and and receptions. So to some degree... (laughs) You could certainly make an argument that his numbers indicate that this is justified. Well, once again, when you put Evan Ingram on the field, 
for the majority of the season, his numbers are going to jump off the page compared to, unfortunately, previous years. Even if you just look at, forget this season all alone. He's in line that he could still set a new career high in receptions. 64 was his career high. He's at 54 right now. He's got two games left. It's not crazy to think that maybe get five catches in one and six in the other or any other combination. Then you look at the fact that he's on 572 yards, so he's going to surpass 2018 when he had 577. 722 is his career high. So he may have a shot to at least get close. It's going to take two really big games down the stretch for him to do that. The only number that he's not very high on the list, I believe he's 23rd amongst tight ends, is the touchdowns, which is one. Six was his career high in 2017 when he was a rookie. Robert Tanyan has 10. So I know a lot of people were making the comparison. But remember, you know, touchdowns is also how many times were you targeted in the end zone. And I don't know how many times Evan Ingram was targeted in the end zone compared doesn't to Robert Doesn't seem Tanyan. like at all. I mean, Ingram, right. Ingram is never – he's never targeted down there. It just so, – it, 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 for some reason, and, and I don't know why. But here's, here's what I will tell you, uh, honestly, and, and this is not meant to disparage anybody, Hawkinson or Ingram, but I don't think either one of these two NFC Pro Bowl tight ends this year would have had much of a chance in many of the previous seasons when the crop had, had a lot more – quality at the top of the list okay let's just let's just call it what it is it is it is generically speaking a weaker tight end class in the conference this year well there's no doubt about it but I I do think TJ Hawkinson is having a Pro Bowl-esque year I mean he's pretty much been the number one guy for the Lions this season given the injuries they had at wide receivers so I don't really think that even if they combine both conferences Maybe in previous years, to your point, Paul, he probably wouldn't be at the top of the list. But if you were to consider the top tight ends in the NFL this year, I would put Travis Kelsey up there. I'd put Darren Waller of the Raiders, and I'd probably put TJ Hawkinson number three. If you look at overall production, consistency, Hawkinson's in the conversation for this season. So whether they split the conferences or not, Hawkinson, to me, was a Pro Bowl caliber tight end. Okay. Previous years, if we're adding more depth, yeah, maybe you probably wouldn't put him in the top three. Well, no look at it this way. Kittle's been hurt. Ertz has been hurt. Of course. Hooper left the conference to go to Cleveland in the AFC. So so those are three guys who you probably would think of if you were asked for a knee-jerk reaction. Who are the NFC Pro Bowl tight ends? Well, those are probably three of the guys who are going to come to mind real quickly. And this year, none of those guys, uh, you know, would, would be on the list because of either injury or they left the conference. So that in itself tells you, that the class was was weakened, so to speak. Well, I definitely think the Kittle injury opened the door for at least one of these two guys to make the Pro Bowl. If Kittle's fully healthy, he's going to be in line to make the Pro Bowl, considering how well he's played since he's he the best tight the end of the game, yeah. Lance. No, he's Come on. the best two-way tight end. There's yeah, no there's question no... about it. All around, he's got the goods. But then again, you know, that's a guy I wanted when he came out of college. Well, so but but also it's do? the nature of injuries happened in the NFL. Just like when you have an opportunity to move up the depth chart and fill in for another guy. So the Pro Bowl is no different. There's going to be seasons where the star guys go down, and it's up to other guys to now take advantage of that. So Evan Ingram and TJ Hawkinson are two guys that benefited based on the changes yeah. to the landscape of the tight end position. So now, the, 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 other two, the other two guys who I think certainly merited consideration for the Giants and didn't get it, Gano, the kicker, obviously Koo from Atlanta got the choice, and I think it's a razor-thin choice, but, but Koo's got a few more boots in his, in his foot so I could understand why they went with him. Although I would add 
that Koo kicking in Atlanta has the benefit of being in a dome. And Gano does not have the benefit of kicking in a I home dome. I just don't dome. know if they're going to hold that against the guy. If his numbers are good, I don't think they're going to Well, the number Well, the numbers are basically a millimeter apart. And when they're, when they're that close, I tend to give a lot more credit and credence to a guy who was kicked in worse weather than the guy who was kicked in an incubator. But I can't argue with what Koo's production has been because he has been absolutely phenomenal, r- robotic, to be frank with you. So I don't think there's any insult or disgrace in having Koo get that choice. And then Blake Martinez. Now, I, I think there are three guys behind – uh, you know, C- Seattle's, uh, uh, you know, super inside linebacker, Bobby Wagner, who probably all could have cried about the next spot. Fred Warner, the Niners got it. I think Blake Martinez of the Giants certainly deserved merit. And I think Devin White of the Buccaneers can also uh, kind of wring his hands at this one, too. I think that that to me would have been a very, very difficult choice for that second spot. Well, Martinez, as I pointed out, because I know we were speculating about this before the season, he has been steady with well over 100 tackles, even going back to his years with the Packers. There was a few seasons where he was one or two in the NFL, and he did not make the Pro Bowl. So, you know, unfortunately, he's playing a position where there is depth and there's maybe some bigger names because, once again, popularity contest is a big part of it. So I agree with you. He definitely merited consideration. But I don't think I'm stunned that he didn't make it. The other guy that I would throw into the conversation is Logan Ryan, too. And there was a point, I don't know what the final tally was, but Logan Ryan was leading the fan vote at the safety position. So you figured, okay, well, maybe that gives him somewhat of a boost. But then again, we went through the secondary members earlier. You got Jamal Adams to contend with. You've got Buda Baker to contend with. You've got Quandre Diggs to contend with. It's not as if there's no depth at that position. So... Logan Ryan and Blake Martinez would have been the next guys along with Graham Gano on the list, but the depth, the competition at these various positions makes it very difficult regardless of how good these guys have been and the impact that they've had on the team because there's no doubt about it, from the Giants' standpoint, if you were to just analyze this, Paul, from the Giants' bubble, what Blake Martinez has provided in the middle of this defense cannot go unnoticed, and what Logan Ryan provided when he joined the team very late in training camp right before the season. So I think within the Giants' conversation, the organization understands the value of these guys. But then when you brought in the conversation to other players, other star players, and their impact on their respective teams, I think it becomes a little bit more challenging. Well, I think the safety spot's really difficult because how do you qualify Logan Ryan? He's really a free safety in a, in a three-safety package, but he's such a rover back there that where, where do you want to put him? I mean, Jamal Adams and Buda Baker are definitely going to make it as the two strong safeties, right? There's no way you're, you're not going to take either one of those guys off the team. Now, Quadre Diggs, they gave him the free safety designation, and there was only one free safety. They took two strongs and one free. That's the part, I suppose, that I don't understand. I, w- I mean, I don't know why they did not vote for two free safeties and two strong safeties, but they only took three total. So Diggs got the call at free safety. He does have four interceptions. Logan Ryan only has one. And when you talk about your typical free safety, that's a guy who's going to play a lot more center field. That's a guy who they're going to want to see how many turnovers does he have. So I can understand why Diggs gets the call there, but I would also say there's no question that Logan Ryan has had a Pro Bowl caliber year. Again, how do you how do you fit him in when he's not really a free safety? He's certainly not a strong safety. He's he's a third safety who they use in a combination of ways. And then I think the other guy, Lance, and I 
I think to a lesser degree, I, I don't want to make a big deal out of it, but I, I also don't want to forget about Leonard Williams, who, you know, he's in the top 10 uh, in, in the NFL. And certainly if when you look at just the NFC side, he's higher than that. When you look at his sack total, his tackles for a loss, and his quarterback hits amongst defensive linemen. Um, his name should have come up in conversation. I'm not saying he got ripped off but his name certainly should have come up in conversation because he has truly had statistically a terrific year, and you can't underestimate the impact he's had on that Giants front, which, by the way, I think no matter where they finish in the standings, there are people around the league who have great respect for that line. Aaron Donald, Fletcher Cox, Grady Jarrett were the uh, three interior defensive linemen that made it. Once again, just like the other positions, I would argue it's a matter of competition and depth. It's hard for guys to break through. But Leonard Williams, once again, based on what Blake Martinez and Logan Ryan have done for the Giants, he's in that conversation in terms of impact. The only other thing I would add to what you were throwing out with Logan Ryan and the safety secondary position is maybe they should consider having a hybrid player in the secondary moving forward. So you take three conventional safeties, three or four conventional corners, and then you go with a guy that plays slot corner, plays a little bit of safety. I don't know how they would judge that, maybe based on snap count, but may not hurt to create an additional spot on the Pro Bowl and call it a hybrid player, a guy that moves around. That may be an option moving yeah. forward. I'm sure there's guys that would campaign to easily have that label. I would agree with that. And, and again, it becomes difficult because of the specialization in the National Football League and guys playing different spots. I mean, think about it. Leonard Williams is an end in a 3-4, but he plays so much defensive tackle. Now, if you qualify him as a defensive tackle, well, guess what? There's only one defensive tackle in the National Football League with more sacks than he, and that's Aaron Donald. Leonard Williams is number two, and Kerry Hyder is number three, if you're strictly talking about guys who are defensive tackles. But again, Leonard Williams is a hybrid. So, you know, you can't just say, he's a defensive tackle, he belongs there. I mean, Fletcher Cox has six and a half sacks. You know, that, that's two less than, than Leonard Williams. Leonard Williams also has a bunch more tackles than Fletcher Cox does. But Fletcher, Fletcher Cox is clearly a defensive tackle full-time. Leonard Williams is not. So you're right. The hybrid designation, which does get a little sticky and messy, uh, without it, it does hurt certain guys who maybe want to get the recognition that they deserve. It's no different than the argument with the franchise tag. That's why certain guys who play linebacker and defensive end campaign to get a hybrid designation, which is what happened with Matt Judon when the Ravens and he Mm -hmm. came midway and said, okay, you're a little bit of both, so we'll give you the number right in the middle. You are listening to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com, the mobile app. You could also listen in on various podcast platforms. 973-667-1960 is the telephone number. And Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by New York Lottery. The New York Lottery has released their seasonal scratch-off games. Once again, head to your nearest retailer for the chance to win up to $500,000. Please gift responsibly. Let's open up the phone lines. Eric is in Dallas, joins us here on BBKL. What's happening, Eric? Hey, gents. How's it going? Um, Long-time listener, second-time caller. But I wanted to touch on two points today. Uh, Specifically, I really like the direction our defense is going in. I think one of the deficiencies we have is, you know, given to our roster, specifically not playing enough man. So, you know, the past two weeks and against better teams, 
you know, a quarterback, they seem to be picking apart our zone and just marching down the field on us. And, you know, I, being Joe Judge, you know, it's all about development of players. I was just curious why we don't, you know, put our cornerbacks or, you know, our defense in a little bit more man or two man in that sense, just because, I mean, that's going to help their development and, and be a little more multiple on defense. Um, you know, just because our offense specifically, you know, and the def- deficiencies in the passing game, I think, and that has a lot to do if you look over the games with ball placement in our passing game. Um, you know, I don't know if that's just, you know, even though Daniel Jones is in year three, he should have a little more, you know, nuances of what the receivers are in the sense of, you know, what they like or where they're best open to throw the ball to. And that has a number of variables, of course, you know, based on pressure and based on, you know, just time in the pocket. But even Colt McCoy, if you see ball placement from last week, um, it just seems to be lacking. And I think, you know, leaving points on the board um, specifically, which is putting us in a a tough spot. And I, I really like, again, the way the defense is moving along. I just like to see it, you know, be a little more multiple in that regard with their development. But then, you know, on the offensive side, I think we have good receivers. I like the running game. Um, I think, you know, we're in positions to take advantage. It's just simply a matter of getting, as Paul always says, that, you know, big target. Um, But, you know, we still need better ball placement. So I'll take that off air and listen to your thoughts. All right, Eric. Appreciate the phone call. As far as the defensive side of the ball, keep in mind, no Darnay Holmes the last two games. James Bradbury did not play in the last game against Cleveland. And, you know, if you're talking about developing and having more man coverage, Paul, I would argue, well, when you remove two of your top cover guys, it makes it a little bit more difficult for the defensive coordinator to now say, all right, let's go heavy man. I think a big part of what they did against Cleveland and even somewhat against Arizona was the fact that you lost out on some personnel. When you don't have your best personnel on the field, it's a little inconvenient to now all of a sudden make sure that you emphasize man-to-man coverage and think about development when that may not give you the best chance to slow down the opposition. You know, here's the interesting part about all of this. We knew going in the Giants did not have a Batman pass rusher, so they were going to have to be creative to get that pressure up front, right? And we will know that that, that goes, coincides with what you're going to do in the back end because you need to know that you can do certain things there before you can make your plans for the backside. So what did the Giants do? They decided we don't have a Batman pass rusher, okay, so we're going to have to scheme it. Well, if you're going to scheme it, the best way to scheme it and use multiple disguises is to base your secondary out of a zone, okay, because that's the best starting place to offer multiple looks to an opposing quarterback. Because if you're going to just go flat out there and play man and press all the time, which, you know, I love doing that, but the problem is you're running the risk, A, of if you don't have that pass rush, and we know they don't have an elite pass rusher, and B, you're basically telling the other side what you're going to do. There's not much of a disguise. If you're going to line up a yard and a half opposite a wide receiver, well, they know, okay, guess what? He's either going to jam him or he's going to shadow him, but he's going to be right up against him. And this is man coverage. There's no disguising in that. And I think you've got to take that into account as to why the Giants did what they did. Patrick Graham figured that we're going to have to be very, very complex 
and we're going to have to rely on her schematics this year on the back end. And I think that's the reason they played more zone than man. At least that's my opinion. I've never heard Coach Graham say that, but that's how I would diagnose it. Yeah, I think the philosophy is to keep the quarterback guessing this year, given the fact that there may not be dominant guys up front. That even also outside of Bradbury and Darnay Holmes is a rookie, let's not forget, you know, the corners were rotating opposite James Bradbury. There wasn't one main guy that's played this entire season. There's been certain sections of the season where they've leaned on one guy. And I know Isaac Yadam now has emerged as maybe the mainstay, but, you know, he had been also in and out of the lineup. And the way to get around that to me is, yeah, you have more of area assignments than you're worried about just having one-on-one battles. And also I think what gives them the luxury and the leeway to do that too is knowing that, okay, We trust having veterans like Logan Ryan and Jabril Peppers at the safety position so that they can make up for maybe some of the shortcomings of the corner. If you had younger safeties, Paul, I don't know if Patrick Graham would have been implementing the same philosophy because I think that changes the dynamics on the back end. I think having the presence of Peppers and Ryan gives him the flexibility to say, hey, we don't have to worry about the corners manning up guys because we can have the safeties help in terms of those area assignments. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all hypothetical, but I will say this. They went into the season obviously thinking they were going to have Baker on the other corner, and he was going to be a press man corner. So they, they thought they were going to have Baker and Bradbury. And then obviously Sam Beal also opting out, was another corner that got wiped out of the depth chart before they could start things off. So I'm of the opinion they probably wanted to play a whole lot more man before the season started and then realized, uh uh-oh, wait a minute. You know, we're going to have to play even less man than we anticipated because we've had to dig deep into the depth chart and the schematics are going to be much more important than trying to intimidate receivers at the line of scrimmage. Giants fans get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with a Giants-branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants, member FDIC. Let's head back to the phone lines. We check in with Len in Columbia, Maryland. What's happening, Len? Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing all right. What do you got for us? Good, good, good. Well, you know, disappointing loss. But uh, two games left, uh, mathematically, we still got a shot. So uh, get your best players out on the field, give them a good game plan, hold them accountable for executing, and, you know, one game at a time, let's, let's beat the Ravens on Sunday. And um, I picked up a little news this morning. Uh, Haskins violated the uh, COVID rules. So there's a little question about what happened to him for Sunday's game. Well, there's a chance Alex Smith could come back, too, keep in mind. Is he is he due back, Lance? Yeah, I mean, Alex Smith hasn't been ruled out. I know that he didn't play the last game, and, you know, part of it was the calf injury that emerged. But right. he hasn't been officially ruled out, to my knowledge, okay. of this week. So I don't okay. think there was a guarantee that Dwayne Haskins was going to start this game anyway. I did hear on uh, Sirius NFL uh, radio just yesterday, though, that, that there was not a lot of optimism for Alex Smith, that this calf injury can be very serious for him because of what he's had to go through in the past. And so don't be so sure that he's going to be back very quickly. Well, once again, I don't know exactly the timeline. I think a lot has to do with the practice. But even if Dwayne Haskins violated the mask policy that you're referring to, Len, that doesn't yes. mean that he can't play in the game, though. 
one well, thing has nothing true. to do with the other. That's true. That's yeah. true. But it so, could be he doesn't play in the game. Well, it could, but if he yeah, doesn't play in yeah, the game, it's right. more well, likely than we'll that Alex Smith is returning. We'll, I guess we'll point. have to see on that. But um, now I'm I'm not happy that he did that. Don't get me wrong. Um, but that's the situation we may be in here. Be in here where uh, Washington is going to have a tough time at the quarterback position. What do you know about Taylor Heineke? He was their third quarterback out of Old Dominion. Nothing, Paul. <laughs> I was trying to, as we were talking, as we were talking, I was trying to run through. I was so excited about bringing up the Haskins deal that I didn't think about who was the backup quarterback on Sunday for them. So yeah. I, I can't, I can't, I can't comment on that one. He's with his fifth organization since 2015. Oh boy. But see, you know what this conversation is about again? This is the conversation of worrying about Washington losing when the Giants are going to have to find a way to take care of business regardless of what happens with Washington. That's where this conversation is going. Well, as as a fan, Lance, I'm assuming that's a given. We take care of Baltimore. You're saying that the Giants are going to lose to Baltimore as a given? Now we're, now, as a fan talking here, Lance, I mean, you know. Let, let, let's not let's not put me past anything but a fan, okay? So yeah, 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 I am, I am. I'm thinking win on Sunday over Baltimore, and it gets to be four o'clock, and I get to sit down and watch, uh, you know, Washington play um, Washington Carolina. play Carolina. The, the game has been flexed to four o'clock, by the way. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, by, by, by the way, Land, just yeah. before you continue with your point. <laughs> it's not entirely out of the question that they could all lose again this weekend. <laughs> I'm sorry, but this is the NFC East in 2020 that we're talking about. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, right. right. I mean, seriously. Yeah, yeah, I got you. I, you I know, got you. I mean, it, it's 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 2020 and, it, and it's the NFC East. And, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> I mean. You know, so who knows? Right. Now Dallas does have to play. Does have to play Philadelphia. Yeah. So I guess the only thing that could probably happen, I could the Eagles have a second tie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, I, I I know Bradbury is off, but, but I I guess I should have said congratulations to Evan and to James Bradbury uh, for making the Pro Bowl. Um, I I noted that Bradbury is off the COVID list. Uh, I didn't hear anything about the two coaches. I hope they're doing well. Um, and, I, I, you know, I guess we'll see. I don't really care. Garrett was, is expected in Baltimore, according to Judge yesterday. He said he may have to travel separately from the team, but the okay. expectation is that he probably will be able to make it to the Ravens game. Okay, okay. Um, I, I, um, have I got time to talk about the two fourth, fourth down calls? Um, real quick, okay. real quick. Um, uh, Paul, I'm like you. I heard yesterday's show. I'm like you. I would have kicked the field goal uh, on that first on that first one. Uh, again, Lance, as a fan, um, I don't care what the sport is. Once the game starts, I like to look at the scoreboard and see my team ahead. I don't care what time of the game it is. I just like to see points on the board and that we've got more than the opposition. So I was for I was for kicking that field goal. By the way. The idea of kicking the last field goal with four minutes to go, or I should say second field goal, with four minutes to go in the game to bring it to 13 points, um, uh, or 14 points, I'm sorry, which was was two touchdowns. If we had kicked that first field goal, 
we we could have gone for it on fourth down there um, on the second field goal. Instead of kicking the field goal, I think it was fourth and five, and give it a shot there. And if you complete the drive into the end zone, then you then you got your seven points. So um, I know it was early in the game, and listen, I, I appreciate. Let me say this about Joe Judge. Um, I, I appreciate his candor. Um, he, he's about as transparent a head coach as we've ever had in those post-game pressers. I, I mean, he laid out his point, um, and, you know, I, I, I do appreciate hearing what his point was. We don't get that from every head coach. And so, um, you know, again, good, good job by Joe. But, you know, if those things begin to pile up and, and you take chances like that and it doesn't work out, you know, it becomes part of your total body of work, not just for one season, but down the line, two, three, four years down the line here. You know, Land, uh, you, you gotta start. With, I mean, you got to start winning games. Uh, Rob Rivera you know, and Doug Peterson have both been, been known as gambling coaches who like to go for fourth down over their head coaching careers. And both of them have certainly had their shares of success. So, you know, this is only a judge's first season. So you're right. Let, let's see how it all plays out over the course right. of the next several years and see if he can be labeled as a gambler. Or maybe this is an isolated case and maybe he won't be a gambler. But we'll know more as time goes on. I don't think he has the track record of being a gambler and appreciate the phone call, Len. I think this is. Well, he has no point, track Paul. record yet. He's only yeah. a rookie. But once again, even if you look at other games this season, you know, this was probably the first game where, you know, they were maybe a little bit more aggressive than they had been previously. But, you know, as we discussed on the show, you have to look at who the opponent was and the fact that, as Joe Judge, I thought, laid out beautifully, said, you're not going to win this game with field goals. And you're not because, I mean, the Browns still wound up scoring three touchdowns. And if you continue to do the math and you're just worried about taking the points or having an early lead, that's not necessarily going to give you any leverage once the fourth quarter rolls around. So I think you, you've got to realize where this offense is right now as a unit. And this offense right now as a unit, it's a struggle to get to 20 points. So if you're playing the Giants right now, I'm sure the Ravens are saying to themselves, hey, we get 23 points, 25 points, we're going to feel pretty good. And you can yeah. argue Baltimore's defense has been playing better than Cleveland's defense. And I know they had the shootout last Monday, but I would argue Baltimore's defense has better playmakers on the back end. So every team going into play the Giants right now, they're targeting 23 to 25 points. We're sitting pretty. And I understand that. I mean, the numbers indicate that that's the way you should try to play it. The Giants are tied for sixth in the NFL with 19 fourth down attempts. Uh, Eagles at 31, Cowboys 30. Falcons 23, Bears, Panthers 20 apiece, and then a slew of teams are at 19, which is where the Giants sit. Uh, but here's the, here's the really interesting part. Giants have made 13 out of 19, which leads the NFL, tied with the Cardinals at 68.4% in terms of converting their fourth down chances. Just uh, food for thought. Well, they've faced a lot of favorable fourth downs, you know, fourth and ones, fourth and twos, whether it be around middle of the field and so forth. And, yeah, they have been very effective. But, you know, these circumstances that played out in the Cleveland game, these were more red zone opportunities compared to, you know, going for it on maybe the opponent's 40-yard line. And it's the difference between settling for a long field goal or punting or something to that degree. So I think with these circumstances, you looked at, well, the Giants were knocking on the door of the end zone. And they had opportunities, as we discussed on yesterday's program, to get touchdowns and miss throws here or there. 
And it's the matter of, do you settle for the three, or do you once again have that philosophy it's going to take more than three, and we need the additional four points to make sure that we could stay with the Cleveland Browns. The New York Giants at Quest Diagnostics, Diagnostics excuse me, want our fans to come back stronger than ever. Now you can order your own lab test through Quest Direct to get the health answers you need most. As we move along here on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, let's head back to the lines. Bob is in Pennsylvania. What's happening, Bob? Hey, guys. How are you doing? Right, Happy Bob. holidays. Same to you. You too. Um, I, I want to give all Giant fans an op- optimistic view of even if the Giants split these last two games, of course having to win the Dallas game, then we have a fairly good shot of winning the division. Listen up. Okay, Washington is going to lose out because Carolina is a feisty team. I, I really give them a good shot to win. Then we got to root for Dallas to win this week against Philly so that Philly doesn't slide ahead of us. And then we're going to need Philly to beat Washington in that last week. Three-way tie at 6-10. and ten. We own all the tiebreakers. Isn't that a, a Merry Christmas thought? No, that's one of the most convoluted situations I've ever heard. That's how <laughs> convoluted at all. That's going to happen. But, but see, Bob, here's the philosophy, and I can't, I can't preach it enough. All the callers we get always avoid the fact that the Giants need to handle their own business. Some of you are always uh, looking for, like, the backdoor way in. I, I never understand that philosophy. If I pull for a team, okay, I want I'm my team to, to win and get in. I don't want my team to have their hands <laughs> out and ask for – no. An opportunity or a gift during the holiday season. No, That's I what think that phone call is all about. If we win the last two games, seven and nine would be good enough. But I'm so I'm giving a scenario that don't turn off your TV um, if we lose the game to Baltimore because Washington would still have to lose out. Sure. And, well, uh, nobody's saying that the season's over if with, that's what you're laying out. The thing about up. that is we own all the tiebreakers at a six and ten three-way tie, so it could happen. I'm just saying, if if we're thinking this Baltimore game is a little bit of a daunting task, uh, we're still not going to be out of it unless unless Washington wins against Carolina, and then all bets are off. But uh, I still think that uh, we still got a shot, even if we split. So just wanted to give that scenario. So everybody got a roof for Dallas to win, so then we take care of Dallas the last week. Six and ten three-way ties. Write it down, Lance. I know your eyes are rolling, but write it down. I don't need to write it down. I'm, I'm well aware of the scenarios, Bob, and I appreciate you reminding us. But nobody, and appreciate the phone call, Bob, nobody, Paul, has ever laid out a scenario that the season's over. The Giants are very much mathematically alive. The only scenario that wraps up the East this weekend is if the Giants lose and Washington wins. But if both teams lose, hey, we still got meaningful games in Week 17. So nobody is laying out the doomsday scenario that the season's over this weekend. It's just a matter of that I'm of the philosophy, Paul. The Giants have to handle their own business. That's all, as opposed to just scoreboard watching and hoping for everybody else to lose. I understand. Now, the one thing I will tell you that, uh, you know, you, you really uh, – look, whatever the mathematics say in terms of the permutations – I agree with you, Lance. Uh, I, I appreciate the caller's understanding of all the other things that can happen. But if you're the Giants, 
just win these last two games and see how it falls. You know, sure. just just win your two games and, and obviously scoreboard watch and hope that Washington loses one. But that, to me, that's got to be the primary thought here. Anything less than that, it, it just it's 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 watered down. I mean, come on, man. Put all your focus on winning your two games and hoping Washington loses one. That that's the best way for you guys to get in if you want to you want to play scoreboard watch. And there's also something to be said about momentum. You know, that's another reason why you got to look at it that, you know, you want the Giants, if they're fortunate enough to win the division, to say, hey, we're actually starting to play our best football or our most well, consistent football, Paul. Lance, I could give a crap about momentum. <laughs> and I'm sure, I'm sure that Joe Judge would feel the same way. If they got in, they got in. And then he'll prepare as he does every single week and say, we got to focus on this week's game. Momentum doesn't mean anything to him. The game that was played Sunday is over. It's done with. It's buried. He does not care. He lives in the present. So I'm going to disagree with you on that one. Well, I buy that, and I've heard him say that many times. But once again, even if the Giants make the playoffs, if the offense doesn't improve in terms of its output, it's going to be a struggle to beat anybody regardless of the matchup. Well, they always say that defense in the postseason is what's going to give you a sporting chance. I don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what the matchup is going to be if the Giants should even be fortunate enough to get there. But the point is, with a young, growing team and a rookie head coach and a new coaching staff and everything that this team has gone through, if somehow they could get that spot, that is worth gold to them. And it doesn't matter even if they were to get whacked in the first round. Just to make it back to the playoffs again, given all these circumstances, and for Judge to enhance the building of the foundation of what he is trying to grow with the Giants, man, that's that's all that matters. Just if they can get in, get in. Well, I think it would be a huge first step and a huge accomplishment for this coaching staff. There's no doubt about it. However... To your point, though, if he's not a believer in momentum, then you also can't argue how you finish one season is any indication of what lies ahead, though, in fairness. I, I understand, but the value, the experience and the value and the maturing process, especially of so many young players, to have tasted that playoff sauce, that is worth a lot. has nothing to do with momentum. It has to do with the maturing and the growing process, Lance. You're missing the boat on that one. Well, they, we've already seen players grow and mature. I don't think you need to see two more games from where some of these young guys have come at the start of the season to where they're at now. The playoffs the are a received. whole different animal. Everybody who has ever been involved in the National Football League will tell you, like, the preseason is different from the regular season. The playoffs are different than, than the regular season as well. No, you're totally missing the boat on this. The value of the Giants making the playoffs goes far beyond anything that you can actually handle in your hands. It's all about intangibles and the growth of what Joe Judge is trying to fortify as he builds this foundation. And it doesn't matter if they get whacked in the first round 41-3. to The fact that they were in it, that's what would matter. It's interesting that we're having this conversation because one of the statements that Joe Judge made yesterday when he spoke to the media, he was actually asked, do you need to make the playoffs to justify what you've accomplished this season? His answer was no. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. But it's a tremendous, tremendous benefit and bonus. I don't think so. Look, I said before the season started, the Giants would probably be a 6-10 team. And after they were 0-4, I said the same thing. Don't be surprised when they go 6-6 over the rest of the schedule because the first month of the season was their preseason. 
and they're going to be a 500 team as far as I'm concerned. And that's what I think the Giants are going to be. Honestly, I still think my preseason prediction is going to hold true. Now, whether or not that gets them in or not, I don't know. Can they win a seventh game? I don't know. But making the playoffs does not justify or define success for them. It is icing and gravy on the cake that allows them to enhance and accelerate the maturing process. That's the point that you're missing here. Well, I've always looked at this season as the individual development of the players, and I think we've seen some of that. So I think the Giants accomplished what at least I viewed as the outlook of the season. It was more about the individuals, where this group comes, as opposed to the team record and what the team accomplished. Sure. If they make the playoffs, great. And if they find a way to survive this battle royale in the NFC East, yeah, I agree with you. That would be considered gravy if you want to look at it from that standpoint. But I still say how you finish one season doesn't indicate what's going to happen at the beginning of the next season. That's my point. So just because you win a division or you make the playoffs, how many times have we seen teams go from first to last in the blink of an eye in one season? Again, you're totally missing the point. You're taking an almanac approach, Lance, and that is totally, totally wrong. You can't take an almanac approach. This is not about the playoff spot giving you momentum into next year. It's about growth and development. That's what it's about. It's about growth, development, and even belief in the system. That's what this is. You're totally not recognizing that, but it's no, okay. No, I am recognizing that because I'm we have more about calls the individual to development of the players. How am I not recognizing that? We have more calls to go. Let's keep, Wait, let's why keep going. Do, why do you always then shift the conversation? Why can't because you're, the you're, conversation? Because right now you're being a brick wall and you're not understanding the intangible I'm concepts. I'm agreeing with you. I'm saying the individual development of the players is a sign of foundation to build upon. How am I disagreeing with you? From that standpoint. So you, you agree that there is great value in the Giants making the playoffs? Well, I wouldn't necessarily go to that degree, but I agree with you from an individual standpoint okay, fine. that those then, are signs. Then, then we agree. Positive signs. We have more calls to go. Okay. I, we agree. <laughs> we agree. I'm glad we agree. Thank Good. You. I'm glad we agree. Rich is in Florida. Rich, welcome to the program. What do you got for us? Well, first of all, like Godfather, Tatino, and man, stop your quibbling here. We're all diehard Giants fans. <laughs> so, <laughs> Merry Christmas. You too. Uh, we really appreciate what you do. I'm uh, the godfather. We call you the godfather, Paul. I'm the guy who used to win all those giant watches at in the old stadium when you used to. Oh, giant my giant. goodness. Yeah. So to, cool. Yeah, I screamed. Last, if you remember in the last Washington game last year in D.C., I was sitting in the first row and back at a giant spent there. I yelled out to you, godfather, godfather. <laughs> You probably don't remember, but anyway. I appreciate that, but I think Gil Brandt is the only godfather of football myself. (laughs) Anyway, so I've been a diehard since 61, seen every game. I'm a 41-year Air Force guy. Um, Thank you for your service. Yeah, you're very welcome. So so I'm a typical fan-based guy. I follow Giants every day of my life, all over the world, and been through the 60s and 70s. To be brutally honest, I'm a positive person. But this losing is really getting old. And we, we already noticed that with the personnel issues we need on offense. That's, you know, that's not rocket science. The defense is certainly almost playoff caliber. Here's my biggest concern, and it should be DG's, um, you know, Dave Gettleman's biggest concern also. He drafted Daniel, and I like Daniel. But you look at the analytics, you look at the next-gen stuff on him, man, if he's going to have another year. If they miss on him, and I want you to discuss it, see what the other folks they miss on him. You just set the Giants back another three to five years. That's my biggest concern. The other stuff's fixable with the draft coming up. They can go out and get Zach Ernst on free agency. They need a tight end. 
I don't care what the Pro Bowl says. And then they can go get a wide receiver in the, or in an edge rusher in the draft. But the quarterback, today, you know, you got to have a good quarterback and a good coach. you got a good coach, no doubt about it. But the quarterback is a big question mark. If you miss on the quarterback, the Giants are going to be struggling, let's face it. I mean, that's my thought. So I wanted to hear your all's thoughts on that. Merry Christmas. All right, you too. Appreciate the phone call. <laughs> Where do we go with that, Lance? Well, Daniel Jones had a very productive rookie year. I think people tend to forget about his numbers. I mean, I don't know what next-gen stats he's looking at, but if you look at his first year in the NFL, I mean, Daniel Jones put together some respectable numbers. I think it's a matter of getting back to that level. And once again, new coordinator this year, unconventional offseason. Remember, Daniel Jones has yet to have a regular offseason because, remember, he was preparing for the draft his first year. And then this year, when you were expecting to be at the facility and have normal OTAs and spring workouts, you're now all of a sudden having to go through Zoom. So, you know, have we seen Daniel Jones go through a regular offseason? Is he going to get it this year? I don't know. A lot depends on where we are mm-hmm. a few months from now. So maybe he doesn't get it. But the bottom line is there's been a lot of change that he's had to go through. Then, of course, he's got the injury that he had to deal with this season. Mm-hmm. I I still think it's way too soon to make judgment, I guess is what I'm saying, Paul, about Daniel Jones when he had a really good rookie year and perhaps the numbers have fluctuated a little bit this year. I couldn't agree with you more on this one. We're we're 1,000% on the same page. This guy's made, what, 23, 24 starts in the National Football League? And by the way, how many of those starts has he had his full complement of offensive players? That's another factor, yeah. Right? The The receivers were just an injured mess last year. Saquon Barkley was a shell of himself because he was hurt. This year, he's barely had him on the field at all, and they finally got the offensive line fixed. So, no, I I think Daniel Jones has certainly done enough over his first two years to make you feel like it's going in the right direction, and the probability is that he is the right guy. But I would agree that after the first two years, you can't write that in stone. I don't know that it's in cement yet because I still think we need more evidence of him in a properly constructed standard situation. He really hasn't operated under a lot of those games. Most of the games, he was either handicapped by, again, receivers that were hurt, running back, star running back that's hurt, offensive line that was either hurt, not playing well, or being shuffled and trying to grow because they didn't have any experience. So let's get him... Let's put this driver, okay, in a nice car that's functioning with four wheels, brakes, a transmission, and that's clicking on all cylinders. Then we know what kind of driver he is. But for the most of his two years, he's been driving around with, you know, three tires and one that's probably at 20 pounds of air pressure. Or you could argue they've put him in a different vehicle Every other that game, too. it seems, right? Just that because too. of the structure around him. And he's got a rookie left tackle now who is making his strides and going through the process of developing as an NFL player. You take all that into consideration, I still think it's fair to just simply classify it as the jury is still out and we need to see more. And I don't think there's anything wrong with leaving it at that. Yep. Let's head back to the phone lines as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Charlie is in Portland, Maine. What's happening, Charlie? Hey, guys. Hey, I, I just pulled out my violin while you guys were talking there, but I just put it away. <laughs> hey, uh, what I really well, we wanted to put away the <laughs> band when you call in because, you know, we're all dying to hear what you have to say. So, yes, the floor is yours. Yeah. 
I just, I just, well, just because of poor, poor Daniel Jones. But anyway, uh, the reason I called was Ingram. I think it's great that he is a Pro Bowler. I think this is going to help his confidence. It's going to make him feel like he belongs. This guy has been maligned for so long. Can't stay on the field. He can't catch a pass. He can't do this. And right now he's in the Pro Bowl. So he's got to feel really good. And I watched a little clip of him. He looked like he was totally, you know, ecstatic, appreciative. And I think this is going to elevate his game. I think it's going to really help his confidence and his mentality. I really do. So I was so glad that um, he ended up getting on the Pro Bowl because I think it's really going to help. I'm going to say one thing, and I mean this wholeheartedly. He is one of the nicest guys you'd ever want to meet in that locker room. He is a good, good dude, a really good dude. And yeah, everybody, like is, yeah. everybody who knows him, roots for him and pulls for him. I, I, I yeah. will make that very, very clear. So in that regard, yes, he deserves congratulations, and I hope it leads to bigger and better things for him because he is under contract for the Giants for the twenty-one season. That's right. And the only other thing I wanted to say about was the game, and I didn't get it out yesterday when I called, is that you know some. I, you know, I see other teams always go after the weak link of the other team. And when, you know, Cleveland brought in their third-string guard, who was actually the backup center, I called him like Mr. Beer Barrel. He was like a fifth-round pick, third-string. He comes in there. Why didn't we stunt the crap out of him? Why didn't we just, like, make his head spin with stunts, make him, like, mentally work and make him move his feet and make or put Lennon Williams over him. I mean, my God, we should have been able to, to destroy that guy. Well, I mean, first you, of all, have he played a it? heck of a game yeah. under the circumstances. But, you know, you're also calling for the Giants to perhaps do things that maybe they haven't practiced and is not in their portfolio. So that would then put players in a more precarious spot if you're now really going into a completely different dimension that you weren't preparing your guys for do stunts they should that's what i mean they can't just stay to the script when something changes in front of you you've got to adapt to that and adopt to it and do something different i mean i would have switched lennon williams over on him i don't know if he was or not because i can't remember if he was on his side or not but paul you probably looked at the tape i mean did they stunt anything did they move anybody they around did, did they it? did send more blitzes than they usually do that they did but the problem was, and I hate to say this, but because Mayfield was so razor sharp and because he has the ability to move the pocket a little bit, again, he's not so much a runner, but he does have escapability and he is very, very adept at moving on, at, at uh, throwing on the run and moving the pocket. They, they didn't get any, any pressure. They just didn't. And, and even when they blitzed, it didn't happen. And then what happened? His receivers, they were all sitting down in that medium-range uh, zone area, and, and he was able to fire darts. Look, it was a great game plan by the Browns, and they executed marvelously well. Sometimes you got to give credit to the guys who get paid on the other side, Charlie. I, it's true, but I, I, just, I, I just don't understand. I see teams all the time. They see a weak link out there, and they go for it. You know, they go after it. They see a cornerback that just came in after two guys have gone out. They go there. You know, we mm-hmm. should have done the same thing with this guy. We, we should have made this guy sweat and really understand what he's doing and stunt and do things. I just think we got so caught up trying to stop the run, we forgot the rest of the game. Just remember That's this. All we were... 
It's a lot easier to isolate guys who are going to be on their own island. You're, you're trying to isolate a guard. It's not real easy to isolate a guard because he's inside, and they can do a lot to protect him if they want to. Yeah, but can't can't you just switch Leonard and put Williams okay, on? Okay, but but but, but but now what? But what are you doing if you do that? If you if you if you take him out of where he's supposed to usually be, move him in. Now you've got two pieces that have moved because you've got Leonard who's moved, and now you've got whoever else you were going to sit in there, and and if you, you know you've got to move them too. That, yeah, you can't just throw a, you can't throw away your whole scheme just because I want to take advantage of the third string guard. You can't do that. Yeah, but no, but our guys are supposed to be versatile. That's what they like about them. They can move them to the left. They can move them to the right. That was the whole point. Yeah, was talking about. But so maybe they, they liked Williams's Williams matchup. But maybe they liked Williams's matchup, uh, primarily going on the outside shoulder of the guard between the guard and the tackle. And maybe they liked that matchup him against that tackle on certain situations. So why would yeah, you take well, them out of work, it? Work right. But no, if, it, if this it, was it, LA, well, it did because they, they stopped the run game. It actually did work. The defensive line slowed down Cleveland's run, rushing. I mean, attack. Chubb, Chubb didn't yeah. do much, did he, Lance? No, not at all. He had fifty yards. And Kareem Hunt also didn't kill them. No. And if you're going to play Cleveland, third best running game in the league, right? Yeah, that's the goal. Charlie said, "Well, you know, they focus too much on the run." Well, if you're going up against Cleveland, I'd rather lose to a team where Baker Mayfield had the game of his life then have Cleveland run on me for 150 yards and three touchdowns, Paul. Because if they run all over you, shame on you, right? Yeah, exactly. Because then you basically didn't prepare accordingly for the strength of the team. The strength of the team for Cleveland, as good as Baker is playing, they're defined based on the trenches, their offensive line, and the rushing attack. The Giants took away the run game and said, Baker is going to have to make up for it with his arm. And to Baker's credit, he did. mm -hmm. And he deserves credit. I I love this. Leave it to Charlie to bring us together, Lance. Kumbaya, baby. Well, I mean, to me, (laughs) I just don't understand the philosophy of, and I agree Uh... with you, I agree with you that the guard is protected because of the tackle on the center that is next to him, and they can scheme up things to protect him. But also, you take Leonard Williams out of the equation on the side of the field, you actually then have to have somebody that can replace Leonard Williams, and maybe they were practicing all week and scheming accordingly to have Leonard Williams on that side. I don't know. We weren't in the meeting room. So, you know, you have to take that into consideration. To me, it's not so simple where you just now draw your attention towards the new right guard that's in for Cleveland and forget about everything else, Paul, that you had planned. Totally correct. I'm with you. And that, to me, I think is not something that they were willing to do. Plus, real quickly before we wrap up, actually, the Giants, if you go back to that game, they were targeting. Now, I wouldn't argue this is a weakness for Cleveland, but they actually went at Denzel Ward early in that game because I think part of the philosophy was, hey, the guy just missed three games due to injury. Let's see if he's back to the level that he was. They tested him early, and Denzel Ward had a good game. But they actually went after a guy who had some question marks next to him, and he held up. So I actually think there have been some examples of that for the Giants trying to test mm-hmm. some guys that yeah. you know may have not been at the top of their game coming into this contest. Well, With we'll that be happy, being said... We'll be happy to pass yeah. along these notes to, to Coach Graham because, after all, Charlie is is the football guru. So. 100%. <laughs> I mean, Charlie actually... You know what's all right, I'm those, sorry. I should no, just no, let you go. I, I, but quick sign up. Charlie's the first guy that campaigns to put in these fifth-round and sixth-round offensive linemen, right, in the lineup. Yeah. Then when another team does it, the guy's garbage, right? <laughs> the guy's garbage was out of the fifth round. Poor Nick Harris, who came in and played a great game, the fifth-round pick out of Washington. He's garbage for Cleveland. But yeah. when the Giants take a fifth-round pick, He's a perennial Pro Bowler. I got you, Because that really adds up. Have a good day, my friend. Okay. That wraps up 
Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We appreciate everybody for tuning in. It's presented by New York Lottery. Get out there and play. As a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. Stay locked to Giants.com. Wednesday's program kicks off, as always, at noon Eastern. We will have no shows on Thursday and Friday because of the holidays, so just prepare accordingly. But we will be up and running on Sunday with our pregame show on WF. At 1130 a.m. Getting you set for the matchup with the Ravens. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to all. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday and always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.